Hello everyone, welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast, also known as PsyCove. I just want to have a quick announcement before we get started. We will be taking a break for the month of March. So, if you come looking for to a new episode, we will not have any. But, this will be an opportunity to either, if you miss some episodes, to review some of our past episodes or to revisit them if you already listened. But make sure you mark your calendars for April the 6th, 2021. That's when we will be back, as a side note. The secret of Yahuwah is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Psalms 25, 14. All praises to the Most High, Yahuwah, and his son, Yahusha. Amen. I'm Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington, my dad. And we say shalom and welcome to the podcast, where we study the Bible as well as its ties to the biblical covenant and its deeper meanings. So if you have your Bibles ready and your pen and your pad, Pastor, what are we going to be talking about today? What we're going to do is uh, take off from where we did in our last discourse. We talked about the basic elemental functional similarities of the spirit. And we want to make a comparison now with the water. We did the spirit. Now this particular lesson is going to deal with the water and possibly it's going to take us in to the third element. There are are three elements uh, when you deal for salvation, got the spirit and the water and the third element. Now we should be going into the third element in this particular study here, but we won't be able to explore it until uh, we we get into the uh, third one in the sense of uh, it being appropriate, appropriately presented and why it is being presented later than earlier, and we'll point that out to you. So our lesson today will be the basic elemental functional similarities of the water I'm going to ask you to turn with me and the book of Genesis. And again, we want to go to chapter one and verse two. And here it says, and the earth without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. Now in this basic elemental functional similarities, we will concern ourselves with the function of the waters since we have observed the function of the spirit, we now want to see if we can see the similarities that we observe in the spirit in the waters. As we pointed out in Genesis 1-2, it was Elohim's spirit which moved upon the face of the waters. In this act of Elohim's spirit moving upon the face of the waters by his spirit, we want to see if we can see the reflection of the spirit's function mirrored in the water. We ask the question, what is it that we want to see that the spirit reflected in the waters? We want to be able to observe the sanctification process as we did with the spirit of Elohim. As we pointed out, the word for sanctification in Hebrew is Kadash. And when you look at the word Kadash, it means to separate or to set apart. Consequently, if that is so, we must see that what we will see that if something or someone is set apart by the spirit, then what is it set apart for? The answer is simply that Whatever or whoever is set aside by his spirit is set aside for his use. Moreover, we saw that when the spirit of Elohim separated something aside, there were four things that he did. And let us examine the waters and see if these four things are also reflected in the waters. This section will be entitled, the elemental functional endorsement of the waters. So when we deal with the elemental functional 
endorsement of the waters in this elemental functional functional endorsement of the spirit, there were four aspects that we pointed out. Let us see if we can look into the mirror of the water and see them. Okay. So again, we look at Genesis chapter one and look at that verse number two, the latter part says, and the spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. In this verse, it states that the spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. We are already learned that the spirit purpose was to make whatever or whoever it came into contact with to be holy. So for the mere fact that Elohim spirit could sit aside something or someone to be holy, which means one is sanctified. Now the power we see inherent in his spirit to set aside something to be sanctified should also be imputed to the waters. And so when it is imputed to the waters, uh, it is done so to make or to be able to have the sanctifying power as well. So if the spirit can sanctify the waters, then the waters, it would seem to me, once it had received the power from the spirit, would also be able to have the sanctifying power as well. Therefore, what the spirit did to the waters is what we would expect the waters to do as well. Since this time we are consecrating on the element of waters, we'll refer to the four aspects as the aqua elements. So our first aspect would be the aqua element, the aqua elemental acceptance. The spirit have an acceptance. Now we're going to see the water's acceptance. So we call this the aqua elemental acceptance. In this aspect of the waters moving upon the soil underneath, which is the earth, the water is accepting the earth as her agency to be used by the water. Anything or anybody that Elohim wants to use, he must first be accepted by him. And what he accepts, he sets apart for his holy purpose. And such a function as this we call sanctification. So we see the water that has been imputed with sanctification, that this water in turn sanctifies the earth. It accepts the earth. Elohim want to take this earth to make it out of something, but in order to do that, the earth must be sanctified. He must accept it. So the acceptance is the first thing that we look at. The next aspect we refer to as the endorsement is the aqua elemental affirmation. The aqua elemental affirmation in this aspect of the waters moving upon upon the earth, he is affirming the earth for Elohim spirit to use. Whatever Elohim uses, he first affirms. His affirmation is needed in order to let us know that whatever he employs in his service must receive his affirmation. In this way, we know that his spirit hasn't affirmed anything or something that is not sanctified. Everything he uses must be sanctified by him. And if it's not sanctified him by him, he will not use it. So when we look at the moving of the water upon the earth, it accepts the earth and it affirms the earth. And when the earth is affirmed, it's letting us know that Elohim is going to use it. Now, the third thing was the aqua elemental anointing. In this aspect of Elohim's water moving upon the earth, to be used at his creation, 
he first anoints it. He doesn't use anything in his service which has not been anointed. Once he anoints something, the anointing makes it fit for his use in service. Interestingly, in the Hebrew, the word for anointing is mishak. And I think the other day I said mishkal. I had an L, but it should be mishak, which is M-I-S-H-C-H-A-H. I believe last time I had the C-H-A-L, but it should have been C-H-A-H, mischalk. Mischalk meaning smearing. So when we talk about anointing something from the Hebrew, we're talking about smearing something with the necessary elements that we are anointing it with. So in the mind of the Hebrew, when something was anointed, it was done so by the smearing of the elements upon something and or someone. So often we look at it comes so often when it comes to anointing, many think of the type of oil to anoint with, but very seldom do we look at the methodology of the anointing. So in terms of how the oil is applied, while oil is not the only element to anoint with, yet when it comes to anointing, the methods by which it is applied is most important. When something is anointed, it is smeared with the element which it is anointed with. Consequently, the moving of the waters upon the earth was a type of smearing process to anoint the earth for his purpose. So when the waters uh, had received from the Spirit the anointing, it also passed this anointing from the water to the earth. Now the next aspect we finalize on is the aqua elemental approval. The aqua elemental approval in this aspect of the waters moving upon the earth, the earth, Elohim is approving what it is that he used, that he is using. He must approve of it. What we approve, what he approves means that he is pleased with it. To be pleased with something or somebody by Elohim's approval ratings, it has to have passed the test or what he wants to use it for, and he can show it off in the end. When he tests and tries that which is to be used in his service, he approves of it by the moving of the water upon it. So what we have been able to discern is that the purpose of the Holy Spirit of Elohim was to bring about sanctification what the spirit imputed to the waters is what the waters did for the earth. When we go through the waters, we experience acceptance, affirmation, anointing, and approval. So thus far, we see uh, in the covenant that Elohim uses the spirit and the water, which will, in, 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 in future lectures, also on the covenant, we'll show in the various covenants that the spirit and the water are still going to be used, even though this was the beginning, the primordial, in a primordial sense. So now, what we're going to look at now is the fact that what we have observed was before sin entered into the world, okay? Now that uh, we've looked at that, we want to look at Genesis chapter 3, and in the third chapter, we want to look at verse number 6. Okay, that's Genesis chapter 3, and we want to look at verse 6 as we make a transition uh, to the third element that is to be used uh, in the redemptive sense. We have the spirit and the water, but there's another one. But this is going to lead up to that because the reason why this third one is being revealed at this time is because it's going to come in after sin has been introduced into the world. 
Okay, here in the sixth verse of the third chapter of the book of Genesis, he said, and when she saw, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Okay, so here we see that when Adam and Eve made a breach in the covenant by eating of the forbidden, there was a change between them and their creator. The covenant remained the same, but how Elohim and the first couple's relationship to one another became estranged. In other words, there was no change in the covenant. The covenant remained the same, but their relationship was became estranged. They were separated from one another. What was once a delightful interaction to be in one another's presence now became a dreadful interchange. Yet despite their breach of the covenant relationship, there were stipulations within the covenant which provided for their failures to live up to the covenant agreements. So what we're going to be looking at is that in the same covenant that when our first parents forfeited their claim to Eden, that Elohim still had something in the covenant to be able to bring them back to him. So when the once holy couple partook of the forbidden, they hid themselves from their maker. However, unbeknowingly, their maker also hid himself from them. Now, what we know that Adam and Eve, they hid, and they went in, they got some fig leaves, and with those fig leaves, they covered themselves. But Elohim had to let them know that that was not sufficient. And because it wasn't sufficient, uh, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 21, I'm not 21, but the third chapter in verse 21, it says here in Genesis 3:21, unto Adam and also to his wife did Yahuwah Elohim make coats of skin and clothe them. So here we see uh, the first sacrificial system is that Elohim made some clothes and he closed them. Okay. But we are told also that when Adam and Eve sinned prior to making the clothes, the Bible tells us in Genesis three and looking at uh, a few verses, we'll start with verse number uh We'll start verse number seven. And here it says in three, seven, and the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of Yahuwah Elohim walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahuwah Elohim amongst the trees of the garden. So one of the first acts that they did when they made a breach in the covenant is that they hid themselves. They had transgressed, so they hid themselves. But oftentimes when we look at the hiding, we see Adam and Eve hiding. But the Bible also points out that when we sin, Elohim hides from us. Now let us turn to Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 59, and verse number one. No, well, actually, verse number two. Isaiah 59, two, here it says, it said, but your iniquities have separated between you and your Elohim, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So what we are looking at is that when Adam and Eve sinned, they hid and Elohim is saying that when we sin, that it's our sins that cause him to hide from us. So it's sort of like a, 
uh, equalization you had from Elohim, but because of your sins, he had from you. So here in Isaiah 59, 2 states, your iniquities have separated between you and your Elohim. So he's pointing out that it's the, our iniquities and our sins that he has his face from us that he will not hear. So as we can see, our first set of parents hid from Elohim when they sinned, and he also, in reverse fashion, hid from them. Consequently, what we are able to observe about hiding is that sin separates both Elohim from us and us from him. If we are to come out of hiding, then sin must be removed. The question we would ask, we would now ask is, how do we or Elohim remove sin? How do we remove it? Because the only way we will build back that relationship is to have sin removed. Now, when, when we consider the fact that Elohim's covenant embraced Adam and and Eve entire lifestyle as to what they should or should not do. If they obeyed the word of their creator, they would live. And if they disobeyed, they would die. This is the basis of Elohim's covenant. When we logically follow the stipulations of the covenant, we have the following. Obedience leads to blessings and blessings lead to life. Disobedience leads to curses, and curses leads to death. As long as our first parents walk in obedience of the covenant promises, then they could enjoy the abundant life of prosperity. However, when they walked in disobedience of the covenant promises, then they couldn't enjoy the abundant life of prosperity. However, when the covenant was broken by them, there were still prov prov there were still provisions in the same covenant to prepare them to be able to restore to be restored to their original state with their creator, even though they would be able to be established a new relationship to their creator, yet it would not be a, a site relationship, but rather it would be one of faith. They wouldn't be able to see him, but they had to trust his word or what he said by faith and they could restore the relationship because sin had to be overcome before they could again come into his presence as they did prior to sin. This faith wouldn't be anything new or different from what they were given prior to them alienating themselves from their creator. If they had exercised this same faith in the garden when the serpent came to Eve, they no doubt wouldn't have been in the situation they were in. Now that they have sinned, they would have to again exercise their faith in his word to regain the full relationship to him. And in doing so, Elohim gave them another covenant promise. And let us look at that other covenant promise he gave to them. And that's going back to Genesis and the third chapter and in Genesis 3.15, we want to look at uh, what he said to them. Here in Genesis 3.15, he says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Here was a promise in this uh, third chapter in verse 15. He is, he is forecasting that he is going to put enmity between thee and the woman and between 
thy seed and her seed. In other words, this enmity is a hatred. If there, there was going to be a hatred between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And it says that the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the seed of the serpent, and the seed of the serpent shall bruise the heels of the seed of the woman. So that was pointing down the line that there would be a Messiah to come and to be able to be the one that can stand in the place of Adam and Eve and the fallen race. So he gave them that same, he gave them that promise there in the Garden of Eden. And this particular passage of scripture has quite a bit of Elohim's promises and prophecy. The promise was that of a Messiah to come and the prophetical implication proclaimed that the seed of the woman would come. Such a promise and prophecy came to its fulfillment at the crucifixion of Yeshua, our Messiah. In the, cre in the creation of our world, we pointed out two basic primordial elements upon which all was to be composed of, namely the primordial spirit and the primordial waters. However, after the holy couple transgressed the commandments in the covenant, there is a third basic primordial element, which is blood. So we have the primordial element of the spirit, primordial element of the water, and now we have the primordial element of blood. This blood, however, wasn't an afterthought on the part of Elohim to bring it in after Adam's trans transgressed. It was already intact prior to the creation. So when Adam and Eve sinned, Elohim had already had a way uh, to be able to deal with sin, and it was prior to the creation of our world. Before the world was brought into existence, the blood of the Messiah was already a part of the covenant between Elohim and man. When we pull back the curtain of time and pierce into the council of Jehoah, and his son, Michael, the blood was mentioned. It is this blood that we want to see how it is related to the covenant between Yahuwah and man. Such blood was needed in order to bring man back into harmony with his creator after breaking the covenant. In this study, we want to look at what we would refer to as the third basic primordial element, even though we refer to the blood as the third primordial element of the three, we want to view it not as the third in the sense of a rank or importance, but rather first when it comes to redemption. It is at this juxtaposition that we want to now consider what we call the blood covenant and why we would rank it first in both its rank and importance. We're going to look at that blood covenant. Now, when we uh, look at the blood covenant, we want to turn to the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, we want to look at the 13th chapter, Revelation 13. And in the 13th chapter of Revelation, we want to concentrate on verse number 8. Revelation 13, 8. And here we are told in Revelation 13, 8, it says... <clears throat> and all that dwell upon the earth and worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Okay. 
So when we look at the blood covenant, according to Revelation, it speaks about the book of life. And then it goes on to point out, it points out the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So when here in both in Genesis 3.15 and, and, and Revelation 13.8, they speak, they speak prophetic, prophetically of a coming Messiah who would suffer and die at the hands of the Roman soldiers, yet it was the entire human race of the children of Adam and Eve who participated in the crucifixion. You see, the Roman soldiers, they crucified him. And one would wonder, why did the Romans crucify Yeshua? Well, we must understand in order for a person to be crucified in those days, they had to go to the judicial system in order to determine why a person should be put to death. And at this time in history, the Roman government and the Roman law was one of the highest judicial courts on earth. And so when Elohim came to this world, he had to be tried by the highest judicial system on earth, which was the Romans. And when they, and when they examined him under the reign of Pontius Pilate, Pilate said, I could find no fault with him. So what we are looking at is that when Yeshua was crucified and sentenced to death, it was under Pontius Pilate, and Pilate said he found no fault with him. So the highest judicial body on earth tried him and saw no fault with him, but yet they crucified him anyway. In the first sacrificial offering made by our creator to make coats of skins to close the nakedness of the once holy pair, do we see the sacrificial system being inaugurated? So when Elohim in Genesis 3.21 made those coats of skin, he began the sacrificial system. That was the starting point. And when Adam and Eve understood that, then they continued to sacrifice. And by the time they got Cain and Abel, they taught them how to sacrifice, even though Cain... Uh, Abel was killed by his brother Cain because he offered a better sacrifice than Cain. But th both Cain and Abel knew about the sacrificial system because they learned it from their parents, Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, they learned it from Elohim. Now let us turn to Isaiah. Let us turn to Isaiah chapter 53. And here in Isaiah chapter 53, we want to concentrate on verse number uh, 7. Now, you remember in the book of Revelation, it says that he was a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Now, here, one of the prophets said, as he prophesied in verse number 7 of Isaiah 53, it said he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. So here we find that when Moses was shown in the creation that the seed of the woman will have a conflict with the seed of the serpent, and here Isaiah picks up on it, and he talks about the affliction. And he says that this lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, he says that this lamb had taken on the afflictions and the oppression, and he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before a shearers is done. So when you look at the trial and the male treatment of Yeshua, it fits in with what Isaiah is talking about. Yeshua, our Messiah, is spoken of as a lamb to the slaughter. So when we look in the book of uh, Revelation and see him slain as a lamb, the lamb was the type of animal 
that was used for the sin sacrifice. So when we see that, we see that Yeshua the Messiah was that lamb. And every sacrifice from the gate of Eden on down through every covenant made with the patriarchs and the prophets pointed to the lamb sacrificed. However, John on the Isle of Patmos was revealed the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It would appear that if the lamb was slain from the foundation of this world, wouldn't it strongly be emphasizing that when the creator established the foundation of the earth, the sacrificial system was already in existence. And if that is so, then when our first set of parents forfeited their rights to the Edenic garden, this sacrificial system went into effect. It wasn't developed after they transgressed the covenant. It was made prior to their transgression. The plan of salvation for fallen man was not an afterthought. It was done proactively. If we draw the conclusion that the plan of salvation was in existence before the creation of this world, then it would naturally follow that the father and his son who created our world also had a council meeting whereby they discussed the possibilities of a perfect man falling into an imperfect state. In such a council, I could think that an all-knowing Elohim would lay out what would be needed to redeem fallen man. Let us go into this council of the father and the son to see the possibility what was discussed in this council. So let us see the possibilities that was discussed in this council concerning the fall of man. We will refer to this section of our study as the council of redemption. So if the plan of salvation was something that was already worked out by Elohim, what we want to just kind of go into that council between he and his son. So as we look at the council of redemption, when the council of redemption took place, we can only assume that it was in eternity past. As to when in eternity past, we haven't been given the time nor the place where this council was in session, we can only speculate at best, even though we cannot pinpoint in scriptures the time and the place in which the council took place, yet if the plan of redemption was in place at the time which Adam and Eve transgressed the covenant stipulations, there would have to have been some discussion about what should be done. And for the mere reason that Adam and his wife were told by Elohim, her seed would bring forth one who would bruise the head of the seed of the serpent, and the seed of the serpent would bruise his heel. I cannot conceive of Elohim killing an animal to clothe the once holy couple and not having discussed this beforehand. One of the things we noticed about Elohim <laughs> is that when he does something, prior to doing it, he has thought it out first, and then he executes what it is that he has thought. Even in the creation of this world, it wasn't a random arrangement as to how he would proceed with it. He mapped out from day one of the creation to what would come first and what would come on the successive days to follow. If he did this in creation, why wouldn't he do this in salvation? He isn't a haphazard Elohim, nor does he work 
merely by chance. When we examine his universe, we see design and order in everything he created from the mega celestial bodies of light in the heavens to the minutest detail of the smallest scrub. We can actually believe that Yeshua's father wouldn't have his son to come and die for the fallen race without having laid out the specific, the, the specifications of such a death. As a matter of fact, I would think that if there was a council on anything the father and the son did, certainly the plan of redemption would be paramount to anything. They, they would be paramount to anything that, that they did. As important as the plan of salvation is, every detail of it was discussed between the father and his son. No aspect of it was left to conjecture or guesswork. In the Council of Redemption, there was discussed what needed to be done to redeem fallen man and who should ransom the lost mankind. Certainly, it was agreed by them that Michael, the son of Elohim, would be the ransom who would give his perfect life to atone for the guilty race. Michael was the only one in all the universe who could give his life in exchange for the life of fallen mankind. Michael, who came forth from his father, was capable of dying, whereas his father could not die. None of the angelic hosts could be a substitute to die in place of the guilty race. Even if they could die, angels, even though they are perfect beings, but not in the perfection of being equal to Yahuwah, only his son could be fulfill this qualification. So the only person who could die is a person that was equal to Elohim himself. Elohim have a high standard, and that standard is so high that even the angels had not reached that standard. So the only person in the entire universe that Elohim had created was Michael. And the word Michael means one like Elohim. He was the only one like him that could die for the race. And he chose, he said to his father, that if man sin, I'll be willing to die for him. And so they commenced to make the creation that if man should sin, they had a backup plan to reunite him back to his creators. He didn't, he didn't want them to sin. He didn't intend for them to sin, but he certainly had a plan that if they did, then it would go into action. And unfortunately, Adam and Eve did sin and the plan went into effect. They could not have any life to atone for them other than the perfect life of Elohim. In this council of redemption, it was not only discussed who should die to atone for the fallen race, but where and when he should die. He was to die in the same place Abraham had he was to die in the same place that Abraham had an encounter with Melchizedek in the priest in Melchizedek being the priest of the most high El Elyon. Melchizedek was the king of Salem, which eventually was named Jerusalem. So over time Salem became Jerusalem. And that was a place that Yeshua was to be tried and crucified in a place called Golgotha. No doubt in the Council of Redemption, they also discussed a timeline of which certain events were to take place in history in the preparation for the coming of the Son of Elohim. 
those events to take place were prophesied by the prophets of old as revealed by the written scroll and the written scrolls which were written under the inspiration of the prophets whom the spirit of Yahuwah has inspired. When Yeshua was conceived, grew up, and at the age of 30, he embarked upon his ministry by being baptized by John the Baptist. In this council, Yeshua then, Michael, was told the exact year, day, and time he would be crucified and re resurrected and ascended back into heaven. As both history and prophecy testify to the fact that Yeshua was to be crucified and put to death on the 14th day of the first month of Abib, which was the evening of the Passover, the exact day of which was discussed in the Council of Redemption. And so we see that the most important thing and one of the most important dates in our history is the date for the 14th of Nicaea or the 14th of Abib in which he was crucified. And that's when he gave us his blood. So we want to study from here the blood covenant and see how the blood covenant relates to the water and how it relates to the spirit. So we are close here looking forward to the blood covenant. So in regarding the smearing of the waters, mm -hmm. I have a question in regarding the flood. Was the flood a form of an anointing? Mm -hmm. Okay, let's point out the anointing of the flood, even though we'll be covering some of these uh, in the uh, as we deal with the covenant to various individuals. Okay, now, first of all, let us look at Genesis. Genesis says that uh, when the Holy Spirit moved upon the waters, there was the anointing, and the waters... Uh, anointed the earth, okay? So now when we look at uh, Genesis chapter, let me see, I believe it's chapter 8. Uh, let me see. Okay, here, here it is. Genesis chapter 8, and let's look at verse 1. Okay, now, in reference to your question uh, about the anointing, here it says, and Elohim remembered Noah and every living thing and all cattle that was with him in the ark. And Elohim made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assaged. So now, if you notice, he says, and Elohim remembered Noah. Mm -hmm. uh, well, did he ever forget Noah? No, he didn't ever forget him. But usually when the Bible says Elohim remembers somebody, in other words, when he remembers, he acts. And so when he acted, he was, he was, he was, he sent out, he sent out the wind. Okay. Now, what I want you to do is look at that word wind in the eighth chapter of Genesis in verse one, the word wind. Now, if you hold your finger there and you go back to Genesis one, two, it said the spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. Now, if you maybe have the Sefer Bible or if you look up the word spirit in Hebrew, mm -hmm. then in Genesis 2, in Genesis 1, verse 2, the word for spirit here is ruach. Mm -hmm. And the ruach of, of Elohim moved upon the water. And if you turn back to Genesis, the eighth chapter in verse uh, 1, the word for wind is also ruach. Mm -hmm. That's also ruach. Okay. Okay. So what you're seeing here is what we were trying to emphasize somewhat in our studies. It says that this was in the ark and Elohim made a wind to pass over the earth. In other words, he was sanctifying the earth. He was anointing the earth again. 
and he had to use the water to clean up the earth, just like he sanctified the earth when he was created. But now that he's going through the recreation or the restoration of the earth, he has to do the same thing that he did in, in the creation of the earth. He had to sanctify it before he can deal with it again. So how does he sanctify it? He's first, he has the wind to pass over the earth, just like he passed over the waters in the creation. And then once he sanctified the waters, then the waters sanctified the earth. And he used that wind to dry up the earth, and he used that water to do the cleansing of it. Yes, that was the anointing. Wow. Okay. I never thought about that, the combination of the two. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's basically he was doing the almost creation over again. Yeah, basically he was. And and, 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 and and even more so, what he was showing here, the same elements, the same redemptive elements of the water, mm-hmm. the spirit and the blood, uh, these were used in creation and it would also be used in recreation. They were used in the creation and they would also be reused in redemption and salvation. The same principles are found in that. Now, also, uh, you stated that Elohim told Adam and Eve. Now, when he told them the plan of redemption since they sinned, so they understood everything that was happening, was going to happen to them. No, I'm going to see. Uh, in order for them, I mm-hmm. guess, you know, to, uh, how can I say it? Um, be get back into the graces of where they originally before sent that yeah. they would have to go through um, the plan of redemption would have to be enacted mm-hmm. before they can be back really in the presence of Yahuwah. Yeah, right, right. Well, yeah, right. Okay, I think I understand what you're saying. Yes, in other words, after they sinned, they, they had broken a relationship. In order to get that relationship back, now they would have to enter into the plan of salvation in order to be able to re- be reconciled back to the creators. So what was happening here, Elohim killed a, 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 a lamb, or I don't know if it was a lamb, but he said he killed an animal and he clothed them. Now, what I want you to be able to see in that clothing is, is, is at least two things. Number one, uh, the clothing was the covering. Now, if you remember the studies that we had on the Day of Atonement, that was when on the Day of Atonement, your sins were covered because the word kipper meant to cover and kipperim means coverings. Uh-huh. So the first atonement was when he covered them. Uh-huh. He covered them with the skins of the animals, which was portraying that one would come and the one who would come, he would also be able to cover their sins, which was Yeshua. And he would be the atonement for them. And we pointed out about the two goats. So when he did that, he would be atoning for them. But at the same time, while he was atoning, he would also be anointing them with his blood, which was be the perfect life of Elohim. And at the same time, they could be able to enter into that blood relationship. But he demonstrated it first by showing that he had to kill an animal. And that was an indication that a Messiah would come to be killed and that his perfect innocent blood will be exchanged for your uh, sinful blood. And as a result, you would be reconciled or the sins would be removed and you can have now your relationship built back to Elohim. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Yeah, so they did have to go through the process in order to build back that relationship. Okay. Now, during that time, the, uh, the, re- the relationship can't fully be rebuilt until uh, he comes and get his chosen people. Uh, he comes for his uh, people. Correct. Well, yes, it, yeah, I understand that. But yeah, uh-huh. it can be fully restored, uh-huh. but in the sense that they could not be in his presence because they were still sinful beings. Okay. Okay. But they could experience 
his uh, full relationship by faith. Okay. See, they could exercise faith. And this is why the Bible says faith is a substance of things hoped for, but the evidence not seen. So in other words, if you believe something, they saying you already have it. So if you believe that you have a relationship with him as a result of being faithful to what you're doing, you do have it. And that's what faith is, is that I already obtained the thing that I'm looking for. So you can have that full, full relationship. And one of the persons who had it, he had faith and that was Enoch. Mm -hmm. He had so much faith that Elaine took him on to heaven with him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. To be like Enoch. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, can you uh, take us to the throne in prayer before we close this out for this episode? Okay. I love it, Father, as we looked at the water and I had sanctified the earth. And then when the first couple that you made breached the covenant, oh, Heavenly Father, you love them so much. You who know all things, oh, Heavenly Father, did not want them to sin. But when they sinned, you loved them so much that you had already a plan of salvation made. And we give you praise and glory that you did that, Father, because we find down in our day, we were ignorant and we did not know the way to go. And then the truth came to us and we found out that it was nothing that we needed to do to be saved. All the thing we had to do is accept the life of Yeshua and walk in the way that he wants us to walk. And we can be able to be reconciled back to the Father. So we thank you for the gift of your son, Michael, in heaven and Yeshua here on earth who have come and he was crucified on the cross to give his blood in exchange for our blood, which means he gives his life for our life so that all of the sins in our life can be removed. And then we can be reconciled by faith back to the father looking forward to one day that when all of the sin and transgression and iniquities and wickedness and evil has been removed from this world, then we'll be able to see him face to face without anything between. And so we look forward to that day. So as we've discussed this evening, we ask, oh, Father, that you continue to make us faithful and do the things that you would have us to do. And as we take a little break, oh, Heavenly Father, and we'll be coming back, oh, Heavenly Father, on April the 6th, that when we come back, we'll still be discussing the blood covenant, oh, Heavenly Father, and see the depth in which... It has gone, O Heavenly Father, in order to save the human race, each person individually as well as collectively, that when he comes, O Father, that he'll have a lot of blood-bought souls who have accepted his life, and as a result, they become candidates for the kingdom of Elohim, a kingdom, O Heavenly Father, that will never be done away with and a life that will never end. We have a life that will measure with the life of Elohim throughout eternity, world without end. So bless each listener. Bless the host. Bless the speaker, and most of all, bless us collectively, O Heavenly Father, as we walk together, that when Yeshua comes, that we can go together and be able to experience eternity together. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Again, we want to let you know, for the month of March, we will not be having any new episodes, but make sure you mark your calendars. Make sure you subscribe to however you get your podcast, whether it's uh, through Apple, whether it's through Android Podcast or Anchor FM or Spotify. Make sure you bookmark us, favorite us, subscribe so you wouldn't be notified. We will be back on April the 6th with more. We come, we're going to be coming to you with more stuff this year, bigger and better. So you want to tune in, tell your friends and family and everybody about us, tell them to tune in. We're even preparing for later on this year to go live where you can listen to us live and also be able to call in and voice your questions as well as your comments. So be looking out for that coming soon. Well, that is our podcast for this week. We want to encourage you to follow us weekly. Feel free to email us with your questions or comments at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. But the mercy of Yahuwah is everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him 
and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as guard his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. Until April the 6th, Shalom.